I will keep the sick from harm and injustice. I will neither give a deadly drug to anyone who asks for it, nor will I make a suggestion to that effect. If I fulfill this oath, may I be honored with fame among all men for all time to come. If I transgress it, may the opposite of all this be my lot. The Hippocratic Oath. But that didn't apply to Nazi Germany in the 1940s. You're listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Shira Johnson, your host, and with me today is Dr. Michael J. Franzblau, a physician and an ethicist. Dr. Franzblau is a clinical professor of dermatology emeritus at the University of California, San Francisco. His work of recent years has been as an ethicist, and he has been deeply involved in discovering and revealing war crimes of Nazi Germany and also of Japan. Today we're discussing the role of the physician, medical ethics, and war. First of all, Dr. Franz Blau, can you tell us how you got involved in medical ethics? I'd be happy to. At the age of 60, I became aware of the fact that people like myself, veterans of the Second World War, were fast disappearing from the scene and that the history of the behavior of Nazi physicians during that period would probably fail or disappear unless there was an effort made to educate medical students to the facts describing the activities of German physicians from 1933 to 45. For that reason, I created a course on Nazi medicine, Are There Lessons for American Physicians?, which I have taught at the University of California in San Francisco and at Stanford Medical School in Palo Alto as an elective to second-year medical students in an effort to make sure that the crimes of the Nazi physicians would never be forgotten. Can you tell us a little of the story about the T4 program and Dr. Uh, Yocom Servering? Well, the T4 program was based on a decision of the uh, Nazi party that people who were not contributing to the society, so-called useless eaters, and children born with severe birth defects did not have the right to exist in the society. It was further related to a concept called racial hygiene, which was the German interpretation of what is called social Darwinism and the laws of inheritance as described by a monk named Mendel in the 1870s. And German Physicians, biologists, theologians, politicians all accepted these basic concepts of racial hygiene, and they became the basis of most of the laws created in Germany even before Hitler came to power. As an example, in 1921, a physician and a jurist talked about killing patients in mental institutions because they were useless eaters. Nothing came of it, but the point I'm making is that there was a attitude that was being developed in Germany that there were some people more important than others, and the ones who were useless eaters had no right to live. What happened to Dr. Severing? Well, Dr. Severing, even though he participated in the uh, program called T4, went on to become an extremely successful physician, a, a physician dealing with diseases of the lungs, but even more importantly, he became a powerful member of the medical hierarchy in Germany by being elected president at least two times. In addition to that, Dr. Severing became a senator from the state of Bavaria. As you know, Germany is divided into 16 states, much like we have 50 states in the United States. 
And the state of Bavaria was a very, very important state politically in Germany, and Dr. Severing's participation as a senator in that body gave him even greater leverage. So he's still practicing, correct? That is correct. What's the opinion of other German physicians or their medical society about Dr. Severing and his work? Well, there are two groups of of people with reference to the question you've asked. There are a group of sincere, committed, thoughtful German physicians who are appalled by what Dr. Severing did and are equally concerned about his never being punished. The other group of physicians who deal with this issue unfortunately see Dr. Severing as their hero. They have rewarded him with several honors, including being named Physician of the Year several times. And finally, they have made him an honorary member of the Board of Trustees of the German Medical Association for life. So we're dealing with two groups, one who recognize the wrongs done by German physicians and the other group which denies that any of this ever happened. So certainly all German physicians do not agree with what he's done. Oh, yes. Oh, no, no. There are some very sincere physicians who are appalled by Dr. Severing's activities, but unfortunately they have no power within the uh, medical hierarchy. Do you believe that physicians today, from being a student of history and studying what happened in Germany, Japan, and other countries, do you think modern-day physicians are possibly involved in unethical or organized activities, perhaps in the name of research, in America or anywhere else? The question is an extremely thoughtful one, and the evidence I have to share with you is soft. In other words, I can't show you documents. But I will give you two examples that come to mind in terms of violation of what we consider the standards of medical ethics as of this moment. The first instance refers to what has happened at Guantanamo Bay, and it is alleged that psychiatrists and psychologists have been involved in counseling interrogators of prisoners of the United States as to how to proceed. Now, interestingly enough, when this became common knowledge, the American Psychiatric Association disowned this behavior and made a firm statement that it was unethical. The psychologists have not taken that same position. I'm not sure as to where they're at, but this is, in my view, a demonstration as how physicians can be used for a purpose that is not in the best interest of the patient. The second issue I would share with you actually comes to me from Russia, in which an opposition leader to Mr. Putin was hospitalized in a psychiatric hospital and treated with powerful antipsychotic drugs by injection, demonstrating again where physicians were used for political purposes that certainly were not to the benefit of the patients they were caring for. Tell me, Dr. Franz Blau, from your experience, can you teach ethics? Are medical schools today capable of transmitting to medical students a code of ethics, or does right and wrong have to come from within? Well, again, an extremely thoughtful question, and my answer will be twofold. Number one, it is my hope that being raised in the democratic society we live in, that all of us come to adulthood with a strong sense of what is right and wrong. But it is my belief that medical ethics can be taught. And I'll base this on an experience I had approximately 10 years ago at an Eastern medical school where I was invited to give talks. 
And the method that was used in addition to formal lectures such as I'm uh, used to giving, there were role-playing groups. In other words, we had breakout sessions. There were 140 members of the class, and they were broken up into groups of 20. And we had actors actually act out specific scenarios in which medical ethics were involved. And I was extremely impressed by the way medical students responded in a positive way. My only hope is that they will continue to have those high standards of ethics when they go out into practice, when pressures will build. But in answer to your question, I do think that medical ethics can be taught. What have you learned in your studies about Japan and China as you studied medical ethics? Well, the behavior of Japanese physicians, while it was not comparable to the behavior of Nazi physicians, was again a demonstration of the misuse of medical knowledge for evil purposes. And I will refer to the fact that during the Sino-Japanese War, which was from 1931 to 45, the Japanese Imperial Army created the most extensive biologic warfare and chemical warfare program that the world has ever seen. And it was run by a specific individual physician who recruited all the people that he needed. The point I'm making is that we had physicians again behaving in a manner that was, in my view, unbelievable, except it did happen, and there is documentation for that fact. I'm talking about the use of anthrax, plague, cholera, typhoid, glanders on civilian populations throughout China by one group of physicians in the Imperial Japanese Army, none of whom were ever tried or punished in any way for their behavior. And there's documentation of this, and have others um, taken this up, or did they see what you see? Well, there has been an unsuccessful effort for the past 30 years to get the Japanese government first to acknowledge that these events took place, that Japanese physicians participated, and more importantly, that they should have been prosecuted with the loss of their license to practice medicine. The exact opposite happened. As a matter of fact, many of these men in so-called Unit 731, which was the code name for the organization engaged in the biological and chemical warfare programs, went on to illustrious careers, deans of medical schools, head of the Academy of Infectious Diseases in Japan, and even the owners of pharmaceutical companies that would be as large as Johnson & Johnson in our country. In the case of Japan, it was called the Green Cross Company. My point is that at no time were any of these physicians ever threatened with prosecution for war crimes, murder, crimes against humanity, And to this day, the Japanese government has refused to acknowledge that these events even took place. Is there a dotted line between alleviating pain, participating in euthanasia, and what happened in China and Japan? You're framing the question very, very well. And my difficulty in giving you a hard answer is because it it isn't that simple. But my basic thought is, and I base this on one of the concepts of what I consider to be the standards for medical ethics, which is autonomy. In other words, the only person that the physician should be responsible to is that patient. And as long as that relationship continues in a free and open way where the patient and the physician 
both have autonomy, I think that good things will co- will happen. As we're forced to close because of time, but would you like to give us your website? Yes, it's uh, badnazidoctor.com. Dr. Franzblau, thank you for being my guest today. You're very welcome. You're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. To comment or listen to our full library of podcasts, visit us at ReachMD.com. Thank you for listening.